0: Please do not let the worry of COVID 19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you.
1: Thank you for tuning
0: into the future of health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID 19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information.
1: Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. My name is Allie Hines, and I'm the Senior Manager for Communications at Providence Healthcare in eastern washington and we have a very important topic that we're talking about today with some of our top experts on the matter of course we are talking about COVID variants and mutations what we know so far and joining me today is dr o a laboratory the laboratory medical director at providence everett and then also dr chong our chief medical officer for providence st joseph health system uh, laboratory services. So thank you both for joining us today. Before we begin, um, we do have to go over a disclaimer um, that the information provided during this event is for informational purposes only. This event does not create a doctor-patient relationship and any questions or medical advice discussed is not considered guidance on what you should do. For medical questions, please reach out to your primary care or healthcare professional. And so now that we have that out of the way, Um, Let's go ahead and start, uh, starting with our introductions to getting to know our our panelists, our experts. Uh, Dr. Chong, can you tell me a little bit about yourself?
2: Hi, good afternoon. Uh, I'm the Providence Chief Medical Officer for Laboratory Services. Providence has more than 50 hospitals in seven states, and I coordinate the hospital labs. I also advise the 1,000 clinics that uh, are in Providence on uh, laboratory testing.
1: Thank you, Dr. Chong and turning it over to you now, Dr. Oh.
0: Hi, I'm the medical director at Providence Regional Medical Center in Everett. Uh, I've been in this position for about three years and I also help coordinate the regional lab services for the Washington, Montana region.
1: Thank you so much both for joining us today. Um, And we're talking about a a topic that a lot of people have questions about. You know, they're hearing on the news that there's new COVID variants um, and mutations um so let's just start off by you know what what is a mutation what is a variant and how do they even occur
2: Okay so mutations are a natural byproduct when the viruses multiply The SARS-CoV-2 is an RNA virus which means its genome is encoded in RNA And RNA viruses such as uh, SARS-CoV-2 uh, HIV influenza viruses They tend to pick up mutations quickly because the enzymes called the polymerases that copy is uh, RNA genome, they're prone to making mistakes. But data from the University of uh, Bern in Switzerland suggests that actually the uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus, which is a coronavirus, they make fewer mistakes than uh, most other RNA viruses. And that's because they have a proofreading enzyme that corrects potentially fatal copying mistakes. So they correct the mistakes before it uh, hurts the virus. And a typical SARS-CoV-2 virus accumulates only about uh, two single ladder mutations per month uh, in its genome, which is a very low rate. I mean, it's a rate of change that's about half that of the influenza virus. And one quarter that of the human uh, the HIV virus, and yet despite its sluggish mutation rate, researchers have uh, cataloged more than twelve thousand mutations in the SARS-CoV two genome so far, and uh, that keeps adding up each day.
1: Thank you, Dr. Chong, and and Dr. Oh. If I if I remember correctly, you have um, been Studying the the current COVID mutations um, and and variants that that are out there, can you tell us about what we know about them so far?
0: So these variants, um, some have no consequence to the actual virus's ability to transmit or. Uh, produce severe disease. However, some do produce uh, mutations that have advantages for the virus, both in transmissibility or they're more virulent or cannot or are able to escape the current treatments we have for it. And this is really why um, this subject has come to international importance right now is because because As we come up with more treatments for the virus and the vaccines are very specific in some instances for very specific areas on the virus, these uh, mutations have the potential to affect how our current treatments can really um, fight against it. So right now we have uh, uh, variants of concern and really the terminology is all over the place. There's lots of letters and numbers and it's very confusing, but Specifically, the variants of concerns are, are mutations that change and have survival antigens that will go on and multiply and spread. Now, some of these mutations occur um, in the same branch point of the tree. However, some of them arise spontaneously in completely different branches of the uh, phylogenic tree of the uh, the SARS CoV 2 virus. And each of these mutations can cause a change in the virus proteins. Some of them are in key mutation, key areas of the spike protein, which is the binding site for the virus to human cells. And they've been shown to increase, decrease the effectiveness of monoclonal antibodies or convalescent plasma that has been um, derived from mutations to previous variants. Um, a lot of these are being discussed in the news, like B117 or B1351. Um, and have several mutations, and some of them are overlapping and some of them are not. Um, that's really why they're coming to the forefront of research at the current time.
1: And and Providence is tracking these, correct?
2: Uh, yes, we are. Well, I mean, we do uh, track the literature, but then we uh, Providence also has a genomics lab in Portland, Oregon. And uh, Providence has six uh, hub labs uh, in uh the seven states that we op- uh, uh, that we have hospitals in, so we have uh, hub labs in Anchorage, Spokane, Portland, mm-hmm. Burbank, Orange County, and Lubbock. And so they do submit samples to our genomics lab for sequencing. And then we have 45 other hospital labs that do more the, uh, acute testing, but they are also on the alert for any outbreaks and unusual pattern. And so and they will also submit. Uh, positive samples to Portland for sequencing, and uh, we coordinate the uh, laboratories in Providence on a weekly virtual command call, and I have a systems director who uh, compiles a weekly report of the number of tests we do, how many are positive, and so we have an idea whether we have uh, unusual patterns. And, of course, finally, Providence has a, a very good analytics team led by Dr. Ari Robeshek that tracks hospital census uh, by geography, by ministry, and that sh- information is shared weekly with the entire uh, Providence team.
1: You mentioned um, sequencing. I'd like to talk a little bit more about that. What is it and why, why is that useful?
0: So viral sequencing is periodic sampling of viruses in the community and and really looking at the entire genome to track the prevalence of certain strains and monitor the development of mutations. Previous to this, throughout the pandemic, there have been multiple academic articles looking at uh, tracking the family tree and the branch points. And it was used not only to identify new mutations, but also track the progress and spread of the, uh, the the virus through different countries and how they evolved in different environments. It's key to being able to provide information to help direct controlling measures for the epidemic. For example, the AstraZeneca vaccine was pulled from South Africa because of concerns the vaccine would not pro- provide enough immunity against the most prevalent variant there, which is the B one three five one variant.
1: Is there a difference between um, sequencing and surveillance?
0: So sequencing is the actual testing, and surveillance is compiling that data and really looking at the population trends of where you're seeing those uh, mutations arise. There's been a large amount of ebb and flow in different mutations, prevalences throughout the globe, um, and tracking that is important to being able to understand the patterns of disease and and how different countries can respond to it.
1: I'd like to go back to Dr. Chong, because he was talking about the... um, about the research, um, what what research is being done in Providence labs toward understanding mutations?
2: Well, um, so the genomics lab, uh, you know, have been sequencing samples the are positive samples we get from uh, the different hub labs, and so we actually uh, confirmed that that the, the California uh, cal220 dot two twenty C that was reported actually. Just published on February 11 in JAMA that um, yes, we actually found those uh, that particular uh, variant uh, in our samples. In fact, uh, in 30% of the samples submitted from LA County uh, Providence Hospitals were of that variant, and 65% from Orange County were also of that variant. So, uh, and those were the that was the variant that was. Uh, caused a search in Southern California in November, December. So we did actually find those. And the research effort in Providence is actually a close collaboration of our ID doc, physicians, our genomics lab, our clinical labs, and our analytics team. Uh, the leaders are doctors of Walter Erber, Jason Goldman, George Diaz, Brian Keening, and the Dr. O and I coordinate the clinical laboratories. And we can contribute a lot to the uh, knowledge pool out there because in addition to identifying just the mutations, we have the clinical protocols, we have the history, we we know the outcomes, we know how much oxygen the patients need, uh, whether the treatment work, but, you know, when they're given monoclonal antibodies or convalescent plasma, we know their vaccination status. So besides just knowing the mutations, we actually have... Uh, epidemiology and clinical data, and that makes the research, uh, our data so much more uh, richer and powerful, and it's all in in our electronic medical records, so we, Providence, we can contribute a lot to the knowledge of uh, of uh, these mutations and variants.
1: Um, I imagine that having, you know, having this collaborative um, effort is, is very beneficial for us, and especially having them in different regions. Um, does that have you been able to see how and if so, how do mutations differ from um, region to region?
2: Well, uh, we are actually uh, see, now we are taking on a bigger step in us uh, collecting more samples because for um, the hub labs were actually set up not too long ago. I think some of them came up in August, but most of them actually uh, were more operational in November. So, our effort has been fairly recent. But now mm-hmm. that we have uh, the hub labs really uh, f- fully operational, we'll start this next phase of collecting uh, and sending more samples to uh, the Oregon lab for sequencing. And then if we find any uh, unusual pattern or new ones, we can look back in the electronic medical records. The ID physicians will of course be doing that and um, uh, explaining analyzing the data and trying to explain, okay, which ones uh, did impact uh, uh, that clinic, which one produced maybe worse disease. So we, we will be analyzing all that those aspects of uh, the clinical cause
1: Have, um, in your research, have we seen um, if mutations affect different age groups differently? So uh,
0: the most, well characterized international variant is the B117 variant. And there's been recent data that com- that's been coming out of the UK showing that, in fact, the younger po- age population has a higher prevalence of disease and is being affected at a higher rate by the B117 variant than previous strains. However, it is uh, fortunate to know that the survival curves are not different in the younger age group in those patients who are infected with with the new variant. Um, That same cannot be said for the older age group. Uh, There have been several reports out of the UK looking at this variant, and there's increased severity of disease in the older, above 70 age population. Um, So there has been alerts uh, going out from the UK government with this information.
1: I think that the two big news items right now, in, in relation to COVID, is is about variants and about vaccines. So let's let's switch over now to um, to vaccines. Um, do we know if vaccines, uh, the current vaccines that are out, um, will help protect against the new variants? Um, and if so, why or why not?
0: So currently, vaccination studies and um, and overall studies looking at the efficacy of these vaccines are really centered around neutralization studies. And that's where researchers um, simulate a virus by introducing specific mutations in their RNA sequence, popping that into a pseudovirus and using that to infect a strain of cells. And that strain of cells are looking at whether or not uh, that altered virus can infect the cell, and if they add antibodies to it, will those antibodies prevent infection of those um, test cells? right? So those are neutralization studies, purely looking at the antibody neutralization ability of uh, uh, these different antibodies. And it could be convalescent plasma raised against previous strains of COVID-19, it could be monoclonal antibodies, or it could be uh, antibodies derived from patients who are vaccinated from different vaccines. And what the data is showing now in the literature is that against the B117 B.1.1.7 uh, variant, that the vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna, for example, show slightly decreased but fairly good neutralization activity against these cells. Um, the uh, uh, neutralization activity against the B117 with a, another. Um, gene showing high transmissibility and possibly severity called E484K shows slightly even more decreased neutralization activity. And in comparison, uh, the South African um, variant shows uh, even greater decrease in neutralization ability from the convalescent plasma of previous strains. Um, And so uh, that in itself is a little concerning, though we know that any immunity is better than no immunity. If we turn to looking at monoclonal antibodies, um, there are several different papers looking at the ability of monoclonal antibodies to uh, neutralize these different variants. And what's been shown is uh, some of the monoclonal antibodies that are in production or research uh, completely cannot um, neutralize the South African or the b 1351 variant at all, okay? Then we move on to the vaccine, Sarah, um, and these are very early studies. They're pretty early and they're not huge numbers, but again, for the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine, their efficacy against the B117 variant is, is decreased, but still pretty good, um, uh, and, and slightly more decreased for in terms of ability to neutralize uh, the B1351 variant. The very interesting thing is the AstraZeneca vaccine. So that vaccine uh, is slightly different than the first two vaccines, and it was tested out in uh, South Africa. And the South African government actually pulled that vaccine out because in their efficacy studies, looking at the uh, frequency of infection in um, a placebo group or a group of patients who would receive two. Vote, not, Two doses of the Astrazeneca vaccine showed that the um, they're basically overlapping. Um, There is a maybe twenty percent efficacy of that vaccine against the B one three five one variant, which is the predominant uh, variant in that country, and so they are switching um, to a different platform. Uh, It's. sobering, uh, but there's already a lot of discussion in the literature about using monoclonal antibody cocktails, about getting booster shots. AstraZeneca is looking at changing their formulation of their their vaccine a little bit, um, or moving to something like what we saw in the influenza vaccines, which is divalent, trivalent, quadrivalent vaccines, looking at including many different um, types of SARS-CoV-2 viruses in that vaccine formulation in order to uh, increase its efficacy.
1: There's also the question of um, of people who have already had COVID. If they've already had COVID, could they be infected by one of these variants or mutations?
0: Yes. Um, so, <laughs> in the past, uh, the uh, the estimates for previous infection efficacy protecting you against the, you know strains that have gone before has estimated but anywhere from like eighty to ninety five percent. That is like if you had COVID nineteen before in, you know, March of twenty twenty, you would have maybe a five percent chance of getting it later on in October of twenty twenty, something like that. Um, you know, it's not entirely clear what that uh reinfection rate will be with the uh increased mutation rate. Um, I think it's concerning to everybody that that rate could go up. Uh, the original thought was that if you've had it before and you have some sort of immunity to it, then if you get it again, it might not be as severe. Um, and that is certainly the hope, I think, for everybody. Um, it, it may not hold true in patients who are immunocompromised or older, and I think it really remains to be seen uh, what that efficacy is The studies i was talking about are all neutralization studies only looking at antibodies okay and the rest of our immune system is still going to be involved in uh producing a response against these viruses so that's those are studies that are still ongoing are very hopeful in uh providing more
1: information dr chong when i'd asked that question you you kind of jumped in did you want to add something
2: no, I think uh, Dr. O is correct. And then uh, when we do the neutralization studies, we're just looking at one aspect of the immunity system, which is the probably the the one that's easiest to measure, looking at uh, neutralization. but uh, those studies do not look at even uh, the T cell responses or even the um, memory b cells or plasma cells. So there are a lot of other aspects to the immunity from. Uh, getting an infection or vaccination that we, we haven't studied. And those might be just sufficient for us to still have some degree of protection, even though the neutralization studies sometimes sound dismal. Um, it's not to give up hope on the vaccines. They, they will still convey some degree of protection.
1: I want to give this opportunity to anybody who's um, watching on linkedin or facebook if you have any questions um please put it in the chat and we'll make sure to answer it um and while we're waiting to see if any of those roll in um dr oh and dr chong both both questions to you um you know if there's one thing that you could if that you hope that people take away um about variants and about mutations what would it be
2: Well, uh, for one, the, the measures that we're doing, the, the masking, the social distancing, hand washing, all these good practices, um, they should still remain right now. I mean, just because vaccination is there, it doesn't really mean that we can drop our guard and, be, uh, you know, and start assembling and not taking precautions.
0: Um, I just want to echo that. And I think the WHO has come out with a statement which really makes a lot of sense to me. The more people who can get vaccinated and the more people we can um, sort of provide some sort of immunity to, the faster we can stop the virus from spreading and developing more mutations, which would make it harder to treat. It's crucially important at this point to spread the vaccines as much as possible globally uh, so that we're not constantly chasing after variants popping up in various areas of the world and we can get back to some sort of normalcy. Um, and so vaccinations are crucially important and uh, social distancing is crucially important at this critical stage.
2: Right, and to uh, follow up on what Dr. always is saying exactly, I mean, this effort to uh, eradicate or at least, you know, change the cause of the disease is a global effort and any vaccine that is out there, whether it's a Sputnik uh, Russian vaccine or the Chinese vaccine or the the Western vaccines, the more people we even uh, vaccinate, the better because that will build up the the immunity, prevent giving the virus a chance to keep multiplying and coming up with new mutations because it has to be a global effort. Uh, to control uh, this disease, and especially now with international travel and stuff, this is—we—it's uh, not only in the Western world; we have to take care, make it a global approach.
1: Thank you both, and we did get some questions that have come in, and they're good questions. Um, so, to the to the vaccine, do you think that this is going to be an annual shot that changes every year because of mutations and variants?
2: I suspect it would. This is going to be probably very similar to influenza as and we probably have to keep uh, doing this.
1: And then on a similar on a similar note, does it seem like it, that people will need to end up getting an annual covid shot like we do with the flu? Yeah,
0: I think likely. Yeah. And um, especially as, as we noted with international travel, I think one of the biggest things people are missing right now is being able to see relatives and being able to travel. And um, with the global reach of this disease, really being able to address different variants and try to have as much coverage as possible is going to be to everybody's benefit.
1: Um, Another question from social media. How long would you advise a person who tested positive for COVID to wait prior to getting the vaccine?
0: Chris. Yeah.
2: I... There's yeah,
0: recent CDC guidelines.
2: Yeah. There, there are CDC guidelines out there, So, um, but I must say I haven't memorized those guidelines. At.
0: And they tend to change. So I would check the CDC website.
1: Right. Well, We'll make sure the uh, person who asked that question, we'll make sure to get the CDC link um, with that information on there. Um, and then one last question that's come in. Um, and, um, if you don't, if you don't have the answer for this, we can follow up on it as well. Um, are, is there current testing or current testing the vaccine against new mutations in kids under 18?
2: I don't think we know the answers because the pharmaceuticals are the ones who determine who they are testing it, the population they're testing on. I'm sure they're working on it, but I think since the, the, the old, the Older individuals were the ones that get the disease worse. That's why they started working make doing trials and on that group first.
1: Thank you very much, Dr. Chong. And those were all the questions that came in. Is there? I want to give you guys both the opportunity to to say any last, um, any last thoughts you had about this topic.
0: Well, I think um, if you take a look at some of the international websites, the IHME uh, modeling website, they now are including data on what it looks like with the variants coming in and so forth. Um, I just looked at it the other day and it's interesting because they have modeling of what it looks like if the variants start spreading. They have a line for what if the variants start spreading and um, our um, previous infections are not protective. Um, and it also has a line for when, if there's 100% masking and social distancing. And those curves are markedly different. Um, the curve when people wear universal masks and socially distance looks a lot better. So, again, I would urge to not letting up on our vigilance on that front.
2: Right. Uh, I agree, Dr. Oh. And also, I think we have a lot of heroes to thank uh, for. What I've been doing, the the people who do the testing, um, the people who are distributing the vaccines and the people who are actually now working on the vaccines, because it must be uh, very hard work to keep tracking every mutation and then making all these adjustments. Because, I, I mean, the virus is a very formidable enemy. It keeps changing its tactics. and We've got to keep adapting to it.
1: Um, Dr. Chong and Dr. Oh, uh, thank you so much for your time today and for joining us and for your insight um, on this important topic. Um, you know, I learned some things too, so thank you very much. And to everyone who's listening, uh, thank you for watching and for sending in your questions. To learn more about our initiatives, programs, services, and ways to give, or if you're looking for medical care, you can visit Providence.org and make sure to follow us on social media uh social media at providence health system for linkedin facebook and instagram and under providence on twitter thank you so much everyone have a great day